thank you so much to our elders for leading songs and leading service and also for the music team uh, as well as the technical team behind. Thank you so much and also for the GB sharing. Good morning, everyone. Morning. You're all awake. Great. Okay, I ask you to please keep your Bibles open. Uh, leave it open to uh, 1 John chapter 4. And there is also a sermon outline in the e-bulletin, which I hope you'll find helpful. Uh, would you please join me now in prayer? Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let me begin with uh, this story. This couple met through Instagram and they began chatting on WhatsApp. A local woman, S, started receiving daily messages and photos from William Chan. Now, William Chan is a civil engineer born in China, moved to study in Manchester at the age of 15, and now works in the UK. Every day, he would send her romantic morning greetings and tender messages asking if his queen has had lunch or has she gotten off work. Three months in, he told her that he's moving to work in Kuala Lumpur and then started sending daily photo updates from his construction site. A month later, he said that she, he's going to visit her in Singapore and he sent photos of his flights and hotel bookings. And then, the day just before he arrived, he asked for help to settle outstanding government taxes of $165,000 for his construction project. But there were lots of alarm bells, discrepancies on the travel bookings, grammatical errors and mistakes in, in the text messages that he sent. Accidental addressing of S by another name, Candy. Suspicious use of stock photos, and so on. Well, thankfully, this woman, S, is actually a news journalist from The Straits Times. And she didn't fall for this. Her long exchange with William Chan was really to uncover his true identity. And what is that? That he was a love scammer. William was likely a group not, not, not just one person, but a group of Nigerian scammers operating in Malaysia. The National Crime Prevention Council in Singapore publishes annual statistics about scams. In 2021 alone, over a thousand victims reported falling prey to love scams. They lost a total of $46.9 million, and the highest sum lost at one go was 3 million. Perhaps it is due to COVID isolation, but even before this, more and more people are seeking love through dating apps and websites. And the market is no longer dominated by Tinder, right? No more just swipe left, swipe right. There are intellectual apps like Coffee Meets Beggars, right? Professional coaching programs like Lunch, actually, and interest groups like Meetup. Com. So, singers take note of these websites. Well, more people are open to finding love online nowadays. 
And there's really nothing wrong with that because that's how people uh, find friends and communicate right nowadays. Uh, however, we have to watch out for scammers. This phenomenon tells us that the big question in all of our minds and in all of our hearts is this. How can we find perfect love? And when we do find it, how can we know that it's true, that it's true love and not just a scam? And if it is true, then how do we know that it will last? And if it does last, how do we know whether we will truly be happy? And so we live in constant pursuit of perfect love. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 how we can find perfect love. He speaks in verse 12 of God's love being perfected in us. In verse 17, he speaks of love being perfected with us. And in verse 18, of us being perfected in love. So if you want to find perfect love, this is the right passage to look at right, in order to know perfect love. John will first help us to know the spirit of truth in verses 1 to 6, and then to know the God of love in verses 7 to 12, and finally to know the perfect love of God in verses 13 to 21. So just before this, in terms of context, we need to set the, the context right. In the final verse of verse of chapter 3, John had just told us about God's gift to us. And this gift is a spirit. And now in chapter 4, John will now explain how to know or differentiate God's spirit from other spirits. What other spirits are there? Well, earlier in chapter 2, John warns that many antichrists have already come. And so that's why we know this is the last hour. This antichrist went out from us, meaning they once were part of the church, but they have succeeded or withdrawn from fellowship with us. And by doing so, this secessionists proved that they were not of us. Although they were part of the visible church in the world, they were never part of God's true and invisible church. On the other hand, John tells us that his readers, who are the true believers, they have been anointed by the Holy One, referring to the gift of God's Spirit. And so we all have knowledge. Okay, we can now know, first and foremost, we can know the Spirit of truth. Okay, and this is how John tells us how. From verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. John warns that there is a dire need for you and I to discern, to tell, to test the spirits behind every prophecy, every teaching that claims to be from God. We, cannot, we simply cannot afford to be gullible and to trust every word of prophecy or every word of knowledge out there, since many false prophets or antichrists have gone out into the world. And that is why I think popular books like Jesus Calling, right, in which the author professes to hear from God and speak for the Lord himself, can be so dangerous. Okay? Why not just listen straight from God, from his Bible? And since love scams are so rampant, 
how can you and I know if someone is the real deal or a fake? Well, with William, there were many careless mistakes he made along the way. For example, calling S candy, using inconsistent grammar, easily traced stock photos, as well as love messages that were actually plagiarized from greeting cards. Straits Times sent him a tracking link, which he, he clicked on, and that revealed that his IP address was really from KL, when he, he said that he was at the time in Manchester. So his messages and their origin gave this scammer away. And some of these scammers have been caught in this way. Well, John tells us that false prophets can also be uncovered by their message as well as their origin. In verse 2, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. In verse 6, he says, By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Now, this tells us that what goes in between verse 2 and verse 6 is the key that John provides for us to discern the nature of these spirits. Okay? And so let's summarize it with this table here. Sorry, it's a bit wordy, but let me just explain this table. Firstly, the, the, messages, the messengers here are the mouthpieces of these spirits, and these spirits originate either from God or from Satan. On the left side, uh, on the left side, your left, okay? the Spirit of God, also called the Spirit of Truth, he speaks through John and the other apostles. And both the Spirit and the messenger come from God. Their message is consistent, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. On the right side, we have the spirits of the Antichrist, or the spirit of error, who speaks through the false prophets, the secessionists, who have gone out from the church and belong now to the world. And that is why their message, which denies Jesus, is popular with the world. They originate from him who is in the world, that's the devil. See, brothers and sisters, the truth about Jesus matters. Because the person who seems most loving to you can be the most dangerous if he or she is propagating error that leads you further and further away from Jesus. There's been heresies concerning the doctrine of the Trinity and the nature of Jesus Christ ever since the beginning of Christianity in the first century. And John writes this letter to address a false teaching that was spread by the secessionists. And we're not exactly sure uh, if this false teaching is that of Cerentus or Docetism or perhaps an early form of Gnosticism. Or perhaps this were just simply some Jews who were once part of the church but have since stopped believing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But what we do know for sure is, is this, that in verse 2, they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Right? Or another way to translate this verse is that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. In other words, these secessionists, they don't believe that the man Jesus is the divine Christ, that he's the Son of God in human form. Ever since John's time and through the centuries, we have lived, we are we're still living in the last hour. Many Trinitarian and Christological heresies have arisen 
And the Christian church has always overcome it. How have we done it? By going back to Scripture, to the apostles' teaching. And so John says in verse 6, We, that is the apostles, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. See, Christ's apostles are the ones to whom the Lord Jesus specifically promised in John chapter 14, verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so to guard against such heresies, the early churches also studied scripture and formulated creeds, historical creeds like the Athanasian Creed or the Nicene Creed, or which is actually more accurately called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, which sounds like an ice cream flavor, right? And the Chalcedonian formula or the definition. And today, we do well to know and study them as well. Right? Although they have difficult and funny names, okay, we do well to study them because there are modern Trinitarian and Christological heresies out there. I'll give you two examples. Uh, you may know about the oneness theology, right? with that Father, Son, and Spirit are just one person. And that is taught by some Pentecostals, oneness theology. Or there's also modern Arianism that is held by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so we do well to study and to really know who God is okay, and who uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is. And John assures us that true believers will overcome. He says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Brothers and sisters, we overcome not because we are more clever or because we are more faithful, but it's because of the faithfulness and preservation of God by His Spirit. John says later in chapter 5, verses 4 to 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit from the Word denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and we can overcome them because God's Spirit of truth helps us believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love to one another. And so now that we've known about the spirit of truth, we must also know the God of love. They're actually the same person. God now, uh, John now turns his focus to the topic of love in verse 7. And from this point forward, the word love will appear 32 times, either as a noun or as a verb. In verses 7 to 12, John says three times. He tells us, love one another. And each time, he gives us a reason why. First, in verse 7, we are to love one another for or because love is from God. God is the source of love. And so if we love one another, it shows that we are children of God who love him, who know him and love him and are, are not estranged from him. Second, in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
And here John is saying that God's children are obligated or owe a debt to love one another in the same way that God has loved us. Third, in verse 12, he says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So let's explore first what love is from God in verse 7 means. How is God the source of love? Well, John goes further in verse 8 to declare this. God is love. You and I may remember famous authors, artists, and singers by the, their pieces, right? the, the representative pieces that they have, their representative works. J.K. Rowling, you mentioned her name, and immediately you think of Harry Potter. Right? BTS, you mentioned BTS, what do you think of? Perhaps their record-breaking uh, song, video, Butter, right? At least that's the in-song right now. You mentioned Da Vinci. You think of his portrait of Mona Lisa. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us God is justice or God is grace, but rather God is love. Because love is central to understanding the nature of God and his actions towards us. In a way, love is God's representative attribute. Bible commentator Constantine uh, Campbell, he says this, the, the statement, God is love, puts love on a whole different level with respect to understanding who God is. Love is so central to God's character that is predicated of Him. He is love. And love therefore characterizes all of God's activities. God's creating, ruling, judging, revealing, instructing, blessing, disciplining, giving, rebuking, sustaining and recreating are all done in love. There is nothing God does that does not emanate or flow out from His loving nature. Out of all of God's loving works and actions, we can know the God of love most clearly by His key masterpiece, the sending of Jesus, His Son. In verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's also what John says in his most famous verse in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, okay, which means God loved the world in this way. And that is, he gave his only son. Or as Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, to put this all together, to know God's love most fully, we can and must gaze at the cross on which our Lord Jesus died for us. Jesus is God's only Son, His most beloved and dearest. And yet God sent Him to die in our place. And why did God have to send Jesus to die? Well, John tells us that there are three benefits that we obtain from Christ's substitutionary death. First, in verse 9, so that we might live through Him, on account of Christ's death and resurrection, 
we pass from spiritual death into eternal life. Verse 10, He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ is our propitiation. It's a word that means that Jesus' sacrifice turns away God's wrath so that God is no longer angry with those who put their trust in Jesus. We have peace with God, even right now, brothers and sisters. And later in verse 14, the Father has sent His Son to be the Saviour of the world. Jesus rescues repentant sinners from God's punishment on the day of His judgment. So if you know the God of love, if you received His loving work done in the sending of His Son, then these spiritual benefits are already yours. Beloved brothers, sisters and friends, have you received these benefits of God's loving act in Christ? And if you have done so, then what should be our response? Verse 11 tells us, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's children are obligated to love one another just as God has loved us. Paul says in, verse, uh, in Romans 13 that love is the only debt that you and I owe to each other. So, how exactly has God loved us? Sacrificially and at great cost to Himself. And this is the kind of love that we owe to one another. So what kind of love do you and I now have for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, if I were to tell my wife, June, I love you, but I leave her to do all the housework and take care of the children, then my love is convenient and cheap. But God's love is not say-say only, it's not shreiko, social only. It comes with an inconvenient action that manifests His love. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So brothers and sisters, is your love and my love inconvenient? Is it sacrificial and is it costly that Christ's love for us? Recently, I witnessed such a display of love. See, someone in church caught COVID together with his elderly parents. And so his discipleship group leader and members prayed for them. They went to visit them and, of course, outside the door and delivered meals and medications for this family. And he was personally so overwhelmed by their display of love that he couldn't stop praising God. And then it was his turn to show love. His dad couldn't control his bowels and, and began to soil himself while mom was hospitalized. He had to carry his dad to the bathroom and wash him and change his diapers. He was exhausted from repeating this again and again for more than 10 hours until finally dad fell asleep. And it was only the next day that he realized that his dad was in the delirious state because of a high fever. And then he also had to be sent to hospital. I believe it was the love of his DG, his discipleship group, that energized this brother to show the same kind of love for his dad. And you may have witnessed such kind of love many times in your own DG, in basic and in the wider church. And that is why John says in verse 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us 
and His love is perfected in us. See, our love for one another manifests the invisible God to others. When we love, people know that God lives in us because we as the church are God's dwelling place on earth. His Spirit lives in us. And God's love is perfected in us, which means that His love comes to fruition in our loving of each other. Now, this love doesn't always look spectacular. We aren't all caught to give up our lives literally for others as Christ did for us. Rather, it is very often is the mundane love of the Christian husband for his wife by listening to her and spending time with her after a long day at work because she had been staying home in love with a toddler who couldn't thank her. It is the patient's love of the older wife who is caring for her sick husband and bearing with all his tantrums. It is the tender love of the parent who waits for the return of a teenage child who has gone astray and broken their heart. It is the selfless love of the basic or DG leader who sacrifices sleep to prepare Bible study, attend leaders' training, and meet to encourage members. It is the sacrifice of BB and GB officers who, who give up their weekends in order to love the boys and girls, the youth out there. It is the thoughtful love of the small group member who make sure that their work is completed and the schedule is cleared so that they can come to encourage their leader and other members. Such is the kind of love that we owe to each other. Such is the kind of love by which God is known and His love perfected in us. Finally, from verses 13 to the end, John teaches us how we can know the perfect love of God. That is, how can we experience this love in our own lives? Verse 13 to 16, uh, focus on the mutual abiding of God in us and of us in God. And to sum this all up, John is saying here that we abide in God, we remain in God, and God remains in us by His Spirit when we confess the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and God, uh, and, and, we, and we abide in love as well for one another. Now, John is not saying anything new here that he hasn't said before. He's really repeating the same things. But he's this time filling in the details, colouring in the outlined picture. So to answer our opening question again, how can we know perfect love? Well, the only way to know perfect love is to know God's love for us. John declares in verse 14, We have sinned and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Saviour of the world. If we believe the Apostles' testimony and we confess that Jesus is the Son of God who died to save us, then according to verse 16, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, as fallen human beings, our love for God and for one another can never be perfect. We will fail to love one another perfectly, even if we try very, very hard and we do the best that we can. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We may be wrecked with guilt over past failures to love others as we should. And our debt of unlove is like a mountain that weighs heavily upon us. 
we fear God's final accounting on Judgment Day. And yet John tells us in verse 17 that if we abide in God and God abides in us, then His love is perfected with us. Like in verse 12, God's love for us comes to completion or maturity when we love in this world as Jesus did, with acts of sacrifice. And the effect of this is that, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, that in the world to come, we need not fear God's punishment, but we may face Him with confidence. Verse 18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. See, I'm not going to tempt you with a cup of coffee, but I'm going to use oil and water here. Fear weighs us down like oil, right? And love is as pure as water. Like oil and water, they are mutually incompatible. But if we fill the cup up with pure water, with love, then the, the, the oil will overflow, being pushed out by the water, leaving us with the pure water of love. The second half of verse 18 says, for, love, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now this fear here clearly doesn't refer to the reverence of a holy God that is rightly exercised by all of us, but it refers to the dreadful fear of God's punishment that is rightly held by God's enemies. If you and I don't love one another with deeds of love, as Christ did for us, we will remain fearful since we have not yet been perfected in love. And so John warns us in verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has sinned cannot love God whom he has not sinned. And this commandments we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. John is arguing here that it is easier to love those that we can see than to love those we cannot. And so if we cannot love our brother or sister, we cannot claim to have truly loved the invisible God. In verse 21, if, love, if fear and love are immiscible, right, like oil and water, then love for God and love for brother are inseparable, like perhaps ethanol and water, which are completely miscible liquids. Such is the perfect love of God, and such is the love that God demands from us. So then, how, how can we love? Well, the first thing to know, to sum up everything, is that loving God and loving others is really impossible. At least by our own efforts, it's impossible. Because in our fallenness, we are by nature lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God and of others. The second thing we learn is that you and I may find it especially hard to love. We may be jaded in love because of the past hurts and betrayers from those we've loved. Wherever a painful church split has taken place, like this church in 1 John, Christians may be tentative in their welcoming and loving of newcomers. Why? because they are fearful of being heartbroken again. Where members have left for whatever reasons over the years, small group leaders and other members may find it painful to love sacrificially 
for fear of being spurned again. Where spouses have deserted and friends have deceived, you may find it hard to love again. And yet, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is hope for us in God. We love because God first loved us. God didn't love us because we loved Him or were, or were lovable people. John says in verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You and I were most unlovable people. We rejected our Maker. We rebelled against our Master. We even murdered our Saviour. Yet God chose to love us sacrificially. Now, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Finding true love in this world is daunting and risky. There is the prevalence of scams and the reality of sin. And perhaps that's why thousands of people in Japan, like Mr. Akihiko Kondo, have begun relationships with anime figures to find their true love. And I, I read from this article. According to the New York Times, Akihiko Kondo is married to fictional character Hatsumi Miku, a computer-synthesized pop singer who has toured with Lady Gaga and starred in video games. Now, four years into his marriage with Miku, Mr. Kondo has opened up about his relationship with his enemy wife. The 38-year-old uh, revealed that he found love, inspiration and solace in Miku. However, there is a problem, and that is that during the pandemic, the company Gatesbox has announced that it's discontinuing support for Miku. But brothers, sisters and friends, we don't have to resort to virtual relationships in order to find true love. We can have real loving relationships with God and with each other. If you are fearful to love others or fearful to face God because of our lack of love, then God has first loved us with His perfect love. Now we can, we can know His Son Jesus by the Spirit of Truth. We can know the God who is love, and we can know God's love for us in Jesus. We have known perfect love. And so now we can love one another. And our love may be imperfect, but God's love is perfected in our love for one another. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Thank you that while we were still weak and sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. By this you've shown your love for us, so that we may know that you, O God, are love, and we may come to know and to believe the love that you have for us. Because you first loved us, please help us love one another with this love. For this is your command and will result in blessings for us. And where there is fear in us, please cast it out by your perfect love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.